Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, team. Thanks for leading us. Did Ben make it in yet? And if we can get the house lights up to the message lights, I got to be able to see faces. Thank you. I was hoping Ben would get back to talk about VBS because he knows more about that. But I'll just quickly tell you, uh, there are supposed to be sign-ups today. So parents, if you want your children involved in that VBS, and remember, it's not a traditional vacation Bible school. Maybe I should say that because some people are like, what's a VBS? Vacation Bible school. Traditionally, Bible school is what? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And uh, it was a long thing. This is just a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's an evening thing, like 6 to 8 o'clock or something like that, or 8.30. Uh, But we need... Uh, parents signing up their kids so they know uh, what we've got. And, and if any of you are interested in helping, uh, our teens are going to run this vacation Bible school. But as you know from our child protection policy, teens don't count as adults. It's Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm like, no, read them every week. That was humbling to me to know that so many of you actually read what I write. And it makes me think I better put some effort into what I say at times. But uh, I thank you for that. You're going to Tuesday. I'm there. I'm back. It's an awful flight, but Walker, my dear friend and mentor, and I get to go and, and honor my friend Mel. So thank you as a church for allowing your pastor to, to take off midweek in July just to uh, be a part of that, and I thank you for that. These wonderful little elephants, uh, but they already promised. I told Pastor Ben, I don't know if you know that, you can, you can hook a hose up. I want who else coming and being a part of our Elephant in the Room series. We're touching on topics that might be a little uncomfortable. Uh, I love one of the emails I got last week said, I got a little tense, but maybe that's the whole point. I'm like, well, probably. If I don't, if I don't scratch anything that's a little tense, then maybe it's really not an elephant in the room kind of a situation. So it might be some tension, but my goal is not to stir controversy. I don't wish for anybody to be angry at me or, or, or mad. I uh, definitely wish that you would stay and listen to the whole message uh, because I plan to preach them from the truth perspective. What is God's word to say and then I want to follow up with truth with grace so how do we so today's topic is abortion and uh, uh, you never know you just as this but our world has changed and 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 so many 50 percent of people when I say that you need to know and this will shock some of you that's inside the church that's inside the church I know there are people sitting here today so far on one end of the spectrum. They're thinking, well, everybody agrees with me on this topic. Of course, everybody in this room agrees with me on this topic. The world has changed. And we need to understand it's not the same world that it was in the 70s or 80s. Uh, the world has changed. Thinking inside the church has even changed. And so I want to say this today on the onset before we even pray and get into this topic. It is going to be covered with grace. Maybe you're sitting in this room and you have chosen to have an abortion at some period of your life. I want to let you know, I'm not here going to be preaching to a choir, trying to get pats on the back for how harsh I can be. That is not my goal at all. I want everybody to know that grace covers everything. And if you've made that choice in your lifetime, um, and nobody knows about it perhaps, um, you're welcome here. You're loved here. There's going to be in our approach to big topics like this. The same thing that disgusts me about politics when Christian people will hold signs up and and protest uh, a soldier's funeral and and, and they're protesting homosexuality and they're spitting on uh, caskets and they're calling themselves Christians. That, That irks me. The same thing irks me to think that our response to abortion is to show up with signs that say you're a murderer. Not going to hear that today. Even ones that make choices we might not agree with. And so stick around and listen to my whole message today, both truth 
and grace. That's what I would ask. And before we pray, I just want to do a recap. Church and politics. We started with politics. I hope you saw my plan there. Uh, My plan was us as Christians. And so you just need to know your pastor does not like politics. Does that mean I don't like government? No, government's important. Government is, is, is important. But don't forget, our nation's only just over 200 years old, and we're a two-party uh, system that I think is flawed. It's the best in the world, but I think it's flawed. And the politics is... Our goal as Christians is not to insist on a Christian political government utopia. That's what I think Christian nationalism is. Christians saying, well, we think, and we want a government. And you need to understand that you're not promised in Scripture anywhere that Christians are to have their own political government system, that they run and it's their thing, and that gave them a government. And so there was one time in history where there was a politic and government and, and a religion. I know you want a Christian utopian government. You want a Christian utopia where everybody just does what God says. That would be a wonderful thing. I agree with you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Jesus' commands to you as a believer were not intended to instruct government. Let me just play that out for you in Matthew 5, 38 through 39, real quickly on the screen. Matthew 5, 38 and 39. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. This is Jesus' clear teaching to Christians. It does not work for governments. If this was to be applied to a government, Hitler would be in rule today. This is not what governments live by. Governments have to have a different standard. And so Christians, religion, and politics, you don't get a clear Christian utopia. It's never promised to you. And Jesus' teachings don't always apply to governments. John 13, 34, let's make this a law today. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do we believe that's true? Yes. Can you apply that to government and law? Wish we could. (laughs) I'm not seeing much love out there (laughs) for one another. I see a lot of division and hate. How do you apply Jesus' command there to politics and to governing? So just so you understand where I'm coming from, uh, I think we need government. I absolutely abhor politics and what it's turned us into, uh, very one-sided and very uh, judgmental and very harsh. Um, But I, I think when you get this straight, where I'm coming from, the church should be different. You as Christians, individually, not collectively, but individually, you need to go and do what's right, be a good citizen, you should vote, you should be informed, you should vote biblically, all those things are true. But when we come together, the gathering, it's non-political. There's two separate things there. You be a Christian, you can have your views. Pastor Don is not telling you what views to take or how you should vote. You should have your own views, and you can hold those strongly. But when we come here together collectively, we set down some of our personal rights in order to be together. Amen? We have to have one purpose. What is that purpose? Jesus. That's a good, easy Sunday answer. Everybody say Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. It's an easy answer. That's our purpose here. Okay? So let's not confuse politics and religion. uh, And let's understand what the Bible is for and how it should lead us as individuals. We as individuals, when we're just convicted about something, it becomes so real to us that we then start making sure we want to apply it to everybody else. We want to make sure everybody does that thing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone through that phase in your life where um, 
You know, I, I remember growing up, man, it was tough. It was rock and roll was the thing that ruined the world. It was the evil in the world. Rock and roll and burn your albums. I, I grew up in the era where they were telling us, come and burn our albums. And, and, and I remember people really getting caught up in that. And they, they really felt a conviction about worldly music. And so they thought their conviction against worldly music should be everybody's conviction. Hmm. I still love Journey. I'm sorry, but those convictions just never got me. And the only thing that gets me is when young people call them oldies. <laughs> Have you heard a young person call them oldies? Journey? Sticks? Hario Speedwagon? Don't call them oldies. You might be willing to call them classics, legendary, but do not call them oldies. All right? All right. With all of that said, I think we can go into today. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Would you offer this prayer? Since there's something you want me to hear, God, I'm willing to listen. Can you offer that prayer? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. So God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this be edified. And may Satan be horrified. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this week, the big idea, I sent it out ahead of time, put it on Facebook just so you would see it a little bit and start getting ready. Maybe some of you looked up the definition of Imago Dei. Anybody look up Imago Dei? Imago Dei is something you need to be familiar with and it is something you can hold to. Uh, it's scriptural. Uh, but Imago Dei equals pro-abundant life. Everybody say abundant. abundant. Pro-abundant life, which equals gospel urgency. That's our big idea today. Let me break it out for you so you understand where I'm coming from. We're talking about abortion. I am going to give you some statistics. I don't want to bore you with statistics. That's not my goal today. I do want to make sure that you know that I'm citing all of the statistics. And instead of having to write out all of the sources on the screens, uh, I put the source number that is in this document. It's a compilation of statistics on abortion done in 2019. Anybody do research? Anybody a research person? that loves research. Uh, research is very hard. So you'll see that a lot of the numbers are from a 2019 study. And you're like, well, that's old. Yeah, but the 2019 studies usually cite 2014. So this goes back quite a way, but it's statistics, if you understand anything about them, takes time. And so there's some distance in time periods. But everything is cited on the screen. It tells you about this. I have this. If anybody wants to see the document where it cites where each of these facts come from, you are welcome for that today. Um, but we're going to talk a little, just a little bit to set the stage for abortion today. 19% of all pregnancies in the United States in 2014 ended in abortion. 19%. That's about 926,200 abortions performed in 2014. In 2011, it was 1.6 million. I do want to let you know that studies indicate that abortions are on the decline. I don't know what you're going to hear politically because usually people state statistics to, to get people riled up. And so they find the ones that rile people up the most. But actually, honestly, since 2014, the numbers have been slowly going down, especially one that I'm happy about. Uh, young teenage girls, uh, pregnant, or abortions are, are fewer and fewer and fewer. That's good news. Uh, but just so you know, it's been roughly about a million abortions a year happen in the United States. Uh, in 2014, 86% of women who had an abortion were unmarried. And, and what do I state about that? I want you to come back next week. Next week's big elephant in the room topic is 
sexuality. We're going to talk about God's plan for sexuality. And uh, we're just going to state next week what God intended. And, and I'm going to tell you, God intended on family. Everybody say family. God's intention is that a man and a woman would raise a family together. It's God's plan. We've seen, I hope I don't have to convince you, uh, that it's good for a child to have both a mom and a dad. Now listen, if you're in this room and you're a single parent, that is not a statement against you. I'm amazed at single parents and what they do. Amen? Can we just give it up for single parents today? Good on you. We're with you. We want to back you. I'm not slighting you. But let me just tell you, when you see the statistic that 86% of women who have an abortion were unmarried, that means they did not have a support system they thought that could help them. They were feeling a lack of care and support. In 2018, 43% of U.S. adults personally believed abortion was morally acceptable, while 48% believed it was morally wrong. There are a ton of nuances in this discussion. And for those of you who think I'm going to take this message into the depth of the nuances, I'm not going to. I cannot get into the depths of the arguments on each side. I don't need to. From what I've studied and come up with, I've got a clear message for you today. How, how about who would agree with me this morning? You would be excited if I could tell you we as a church could have an impact on 70% of these abortions. 70%. How many of you would say out of a million abortions, you'd be 70%. We could have some say. How many would be excited about that? How many of you would be excited if I say 35%, half of that 70? We could really make a difference and, and stop. Amen. I think we can. And I'm going to show you today how we can make a real difference. And we need to stay away from the margins of this discussion. We always talk about these small, small segments, and we make our issues based on these small segments. I'm going to show you a large segment today that we actually, literally can make a difference in today. Most common reasons for seeking an abortion, 40%, it was financial reasons. 30%, 36% was timing. 31% was a partner-related issue. 29% need to focus on other children. 64% uh, did uh, multiple reasons. I had to do that because I did the math, and those don't add up to 100, and it drives me nuts. Statistics is hard. Anybody go to Cornerstone, have Dr. King for statistics? I did. Barely didn't graduate college. Statistics are hard, and so I'm just trying to show you the reasoning. Some people chose more than one reason. They might have chose financial and timing. Does that make sense to you? I'm moving on. Statistics stink. All right. 12% of women included a physical problem for their health among reasons for having an abortion. Now, now, that does not mean it was a mother dies or baby dies. That is less than 1% of those situations that are actually real. But 12% just for their own health decided that, that there was something keeping them from wanting to go through with the birth. 1% of women choosing abortion reported they were survivors of rape, and less than half of 1% cited interest. I'm not going to make a big issue on that. I'm just going to tell you that we keep fighting angrily over the 1 and 0.15% issues. Stop it. We don't need to. Don't go there. Uh, 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 We are losing a battle, and it is a battle. And can I tell you that maybe the other side of it has presented an argument that to them is genius. Because if this was pro-babies hating babies, (laughs) who wants to be on the hating babies team? Nobody does. And so they've changed their position to pro-choice. And so anything that goes against that is saying you hate women. That's brilliant. 
I, I do, but I, I, I have to say that. That's brilliant. It's, it's totally illogical and wrong. I, I can't live in a world where people just say, if you hold this view, then you obviously hate these people. I hate that. I can't stand that. That's why I hate politics. I hate the pigeonholing that people do. I'm going to stand on this stage and tell you today, I have no desire to tell a woman what to do. I've got two children that are girls and one wife. I have no desire to try to tell women what to do. And my, my desire here in talking about abortion is not to control a woman. It has nothing to do with that. That is a, that's a false argument. I can tell you that I love women today. I respect women and I want to honor women. But the whole thing about choice was a brilliant decision on how to argue. And let me tell you, part of the problem in our country today with our politics is they're so entrenched on the left and so entrenched on the right. And we have this, this thing that we're so entrenched on the far sides of our positions that we won't even have a discussion about anything logical because the idea is we don't want to give an inch or they'll take a mile. I want to say today, and this is just my personal belief, I do not believe people on the far left actually believe half of what they argue but they have to argue it because they're living underneath this fallacy that we can't discuss any of these things because if you give an inch it'll take a mile and i want to say you might be the same way today on your side too i've heard those arguments we can't have a discussion on any topic because they will take a mile they'll do they'll go way too we've got to stop we've got to stop being so entrenched we're not getting anywhere And if you think that this topic we're talking about is going to be fixed in the courts, it's not. I've already preached to you Romans chapter 1. Mankind is woefully evil. Their hearts are far from God. They will pursue evil. Mankind is not going to, on their own, do right and pursue right. They are going to run. The Bible says they invent ways of doing evil. And so, I'm sorry, but for 50 years we thought our biggest job was to change the law (laughs) only to find out it's just going to go to the states and we're going to have half the states that can have abortions half can't we're we're not winning wars there we're not winning wars there but we can make a difference if we talk about this topic and understand the big facts the middle facts so that's what we're going to try to talk about today so let me try to do this what does the bible say what is life When does life begin? Let me just go to scripture and just talk about God's word. Hopefully you can accept that for what it is. I want to bathe all of this before we even go into these scriptures with the first verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life. Everybody say life. And have it to the full. I, 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 I refuse to stand on the stage and and take a a, a pro-life stance uh, because it's political. That's political now, all right? But I will stand as your pastor and tell you the Bible tells us we should have a pro-abundant life stance. Jesus came so that people can have life and have it to its full. It's not just life, it's abundant life. Not only do I want to stop a million abortions from happening, I want a million people to have an opportunity to grow and know who Jesus is. We just kind of want to keep them on the table. We just want to get them born sometimes. That seems to be our position. We just want them to have life. Well, what kind of life? I I want life that Jesus offers. That means if we got a million more babies coming to this world, are we ready to do a million more opportunities to share the gospel and give people an opportunity to know Jesus? Our desire should be far more from a moment of birth 
Jesus tells us there's an abundant life people can have. And I want to bathe all of what we're saying in grace. You can turn there and look at it, but the end of John chapter 7 and the the whole of John chapter 8, there's a beautiful story there that I want to bathe every message I give in grace. It's a story when Jesus is there and and these religious people drag a woman out in front of him and say, we caught her in the act of adultery. And the Mosaic law tells us we can stone her to death. What say you? I want to keep reminding you, truth is truth. God's truth should never be watered down, but it can be applied in grace. The gospel truth was that the Mosaic law said that she could be stoned to death. Did Jesus do that? He chose mercy. He chose grace. Jesus knew they were just trying to trick him. The fact that they brought just the woman, I've done some research. It takes two to tango. I'm sorry. When they say she was caught in the act of, that means there should have been dude there. There was no dude there. And by the way, it's Father's Day. Hello, dudes. Some people have said, oh, you chose abortion on Father's Day. How amazingly uh, intuitive you are. No, 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 it just fell on this day. (laughs) But it is wonderful it fell on this day. Because it seems like we always want to talk about women. When I just read a statistic, the 36% of abortions are affected by the mate. Men, do you want to make a dent in abortion? Let's not be forcing women to have abortions. Let's not be encouraging them to have abortions. Dads, don't guilt your daughters into abortions. Men, we have implication in this. Can I just say that? It's Father's Day. Are we leading as men? Are we leading? So in John 8, when Jesus has this woman dragged in front of him and said, we should kill her, we should stone her to death. What say you, Jesus? What should we do? Jesus looks down and starts writing in the sand. One of my favorite passages, and you can never know for sure. It's, it's, it, actually, you should never even guess and wonder, but I can't help myself. Well, what did he write in the ground? What did Jesus write there? Because apparently what he wrote there was important enough that the men left one at a time. The older men first, the Bible says. Older men are wiser men. They knew they'd been had. (laughs) I don't know. Did Jesus just writing the name of sins and then arrows pointing to people? (laughs) Cheated on her wife. Lied today. I don't know, but the Bible says that they left. What did Jesus do when all the accusers were gone? There's a woman there. We can miss that. There was a human being there that day that had been drugged probably half naked through the dirt, dealing with shame. I love what Jesus did. And some of it's implied. We know what he said but I can picture him lifting her chin up and looking her in the eyes and says, where are your accusers? Then he offers grace. Truth is still truth. He said, go and sin no more. Truth is still truth, but it can be bathed in grace and mercy. And as I talk about this issue today, it's personal for me. Because I hear so many people, such strong opinions about abortion, yet you've never picked up a chin of a young girl 
and looked her in the eyes. I have. As a youth pastor for 25 years, I've had numerous occasions to be in the room. It's more than a political party position. And I want to give it to you today. Let me do it in this way. I'm going to give it to you biblically. Then I'm going to give you to it scientifically. Then I'm going to give it to you legally. Let me just read through them. In Genesis, biblical reasons. In Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And we don't have time to put them all on the screen. I encourage you to follow me along. You've got the verses on your notes. So let me read them. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Let me stop there. Uh, don't miss this huge two-letter word. It, it, let us. Everything that's come before the creation of mankind has been, let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. And only one time does the Godhead come together and say, let us make mankind in our image. When they made the, the animals, he did not say, let us Make animals in our image. When, when they did the sea life, it wasn't let us make uh, squiggly things in our image. No, when it came to make mankind, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the seas and the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, over all create creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, increase in numbers, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was good. It was so. God saw all he made and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, it was the sixth day. First and foremost, let me say, life, mankind life is special. We are not equal to animals. We are not equal to plants. I like plants. I have nothing against plants. I like animals sometimes. I have nothing against animals, but we're not them. And I'm not trying to demean animals and plants, but they're not mankind. God created us in his image. Imago Deo. Imago Deo. Say it with me. Imago Deo stands for the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Mankind is made in the image of God. Therefore, life is special. Life is sacred. And then my favorite passage on this topic, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days are ordained before me are written in your book before one of them came to be. What does this say? Life is in the womb. <laughs> David's talking about life and how God knows him. Even before he's fully formed, he was life. 
So I'm trying to lay a foundation. The Bible indicates life is in the womb. Psalm 51, verse 5. Surely I was a sinner at birth, and then almost as if the author caught himself, as if somebody would take that to think life is at birth, he said, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He was a person at conception. He was a life at conception. And then in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you the prophet of the nations. He could have said, from the moment you came out, I set you apart. No, before you were born, there is life inside the womb. And then we go on in Luke 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We have uh, uh, baby John in the womb, John the Baptist. His whole mission in life was going to be to prepare the way for Jesus. And when mama's pregnant come together, we got baby Jesus in the womb, we got baby John in the womb. Baby John leapt with joy because there's life in there. I don't think that really anybody's confused about this. We have to make the point But to me, it's such an obvious one. There's life in the womb. This morning, I talked to an expectant mother. I won't point her out because she might be embarrassed. But I talked to an expectant mother. They're going to have a girl. I talked to the dad. And he's going to, she's already got him wrapped around her finger. She's not even fully formed yet. I'm so excited for them. There is no way that we think there's nothing inside of her but a blob of mast cells. No, no, we know There's life in the womb. Scripture indicates it. It didn't need to, but Scripture indicates that life is before birth. There's life inside. So the truth from God's Word is that life begins at conception, and there's life inside the mother's womb. Let me go from there to scientific. Uh, Sometimes people think that Christians check their brains at the door, and we don't believe in science. No, science is true because it's God's truth. And so science also tells us there's life in the womb. Let me just give you a couple. There's hundreds. I'm not here to do this uh, to give you statistics and science, but you need to know some of these things. The thing that just sets it apart for me is that there is separate DNA found inside the mother's womb before eight weeks. There's separate DNA. Separate from the mother. If you took a tumor out of a person, you would not find DNA in there separate from the person. Why? Because DNA represents a life form. And the fact that there is separate DNA inside a woman scientifically simply tells us there is life in there. We also know this about babies at eight weeks. Babies suck their thumb. We've seen the beautiful little pictures they have of babies sucking their thumb in the womb. At eight weeks, all of the organs work It's a working, living thing. It's life. It's life. And also it feels pain. Uh, They have those incredible images and they they can see now when they go in, maybe they have to take a little blood sample. And so they'll go with a needle and they'll prick that little baby's, at eight weeks they can prick that little baby's foot to grab, and that baby recoils in pain. And here's what just blows my mind. Our world. I, 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 I think in this topic it's nothing short of demonic that we have these kind of unrealistic, unlogical thoughts. We don't know about anything else. Do you realize there's a whole group of people that found out 
that lobsters feel pain when we cook them. Oh my. You mean crustaceans feel pain when we put them in boiling water? Yes, they do. Have you ever done that? Julie and I, when we were still dating, we, we decided, I did, I don't know if it was a good choice or not, we decided we were going to boil a lobster together and have a dinner. So we went and we picked out a lobster, a live one, and we brought it home, and I knew I made a huge mistake because I think Julie named it. <laughs> You're in trouble, right? And, and I hate animals, and so I'm scared of them anyway, and so I'm like, just keep the rubber bands on. I don't want to get snapped. And, and I remember throwing it in the water and hearing that high-pitched scream. <laughs> oh, no. People are so worked up. There is literally a large group of people trying to stop us all from ever eating lobster because they feel pain. And yet a human being in a womb is not a life. If you can convince me that's nothing short of demonic that we will protect crustaceans and won't protect life in the womb, I'm just perplexed. Science. Legal. Uh, I call it legal logic. If you're writing there, you could put legal logic, but it actually is illogic. It's absolutely no logic whatsoever. I call it the two blocks further rule. If a woman today is planning on having an abortion, and let's say she's uh, eight, ten weeks pregnant, and she's going to the clinic to have an abortion, she's in her car on her way to the clinic. And two blocks before she gets there, a man who's texting and driving goes through a red light and smacks her car. She survives with broken bones, broken ribs, but it takes the life within her. That man is charged legally with involuntary manslaughter. Yet if she had made it two blocks further, it would have been fine. It makes no logic sense. It makes no scientific sense. It doesn't make sense biblically. And I'm afraid that we aren't talking about logic. We're not talking about reason. We're simply so entrenched in our two-sided culture of arguing that nobody's hearing. Matter of fact, we're fighting. Sometimes we fight nonsensical because we're so afraid that the other group might do something else. And it's ridiculous. So let me give you this. From my biblical, scientific, and legal reasons, let me give you an answer today. Life begins at conception. That's what I'm trying to teach you about truth today. I believe there's life in the womb at conception. I'm not asking you to agree with me 100%. You might have nuances where you want to argue, but I, I think we would all agree life is in the womb. It is life. Because of that answer, then, I'm going to give you something else, a conclusion. Notice how I word it, though, carefully. Abortion takes life. There's just no question about that. The word abort means to take away. I'm not trying to amplify anything. I'm just giving you definitions. Life begins at conception. Abortion takes life. That's all I'm saying. So here's an action point for believers. Look at me in the eyeballs. We have a whole lost world out there. And, and some of you might find it your whole ambition to change their minds. Go for it. Nice, good, I mean, God bless you. But I've already read Romans 1 to you. They are darkened in their thinking. They are depraved in their humanity. And they are not in the light. So I'm not going to go there today. And you're like, but PD, you got to nail them. No, I really don't. 70% of abortions. Can we talk about those? 
If we can do something about half of 70, 35% of all abortions, and you all agreed with me, that would be great. So action point for believers in the church, do not take life. Some of you are like, is this a Sunshine Park message? They're pretty simple points. I'm sorry. It's pretty simple. Life is at conception. Abortion takes a life. Do not take life. I started this message bathed in grace. If you've already made that decision, I'm not diminishing you. We're glad you're here. You are welcome. You belong here. God's grace covers everything. But if you're a believer today, take this principle and apply it here. If you're a a man today, don't think this is a woman's issue. Don't don't make it worse. If you're going to be a father, support your family. Take care of your family. Don't encourage evil. Don't encourage wrong. Don't encourage bad choices. So men, don't encourage taking of life. Why do I say that about believers? Out of all the statistics, I read a book of statistics on abortion. Here's the one that jumped off the page and slapped me in the face as a pastor. 70% of women who had an abortion indicate they are Christians. 27% of them are Catholic, 26 Protestant, 15% non-denominational, and then the rest of that percentage was various churches. Listen. Oh, church... Heal thyself. O church, heal thyself. I really believe the problem with this issue is it has become a them against us. But who's the them? The them is us. 70% of people making the choice to have abortion sit in these pews. And so as you thought today you came in, and we're all in agreement on this, it's us against them. You don't know that sitting in your row could be somebody who's made that choice or has no problem with that choice. So I'm not going to get into the nuances and all the hard, there's a lot of hard things to talk about here. I simply want to tell Christians, if you believe in God's word, if you're a follower of Jesus, then follow his word. Can we make a dent in abortion? We can do it in the church. We don't have to run with our signs and protest out in the world. How about we make a difference in our houses? How about we make a difference in in this building? How about we make sure that young girls know that no matter what has happened, we're there to support them? How about we stop ridiculing people with shame? Shame is the thing, I think, is the underlying thing that isn't indicated in statistics. It's shame. There's been a bad choice, maybe. There's been a decision that resulted in this. There's embarrassment. The easy answer is get rid of it. Just nobody knows. But we all know that there comes pain with that decision. So if we're Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Jesus-following, Jesus-loving people, let's deal with our own house. So how do we bathe this in grace? Let me give you a grace application. I've never heard the church so quiet, by the way. Maybe you're not with me today. This has been a hard series already for me personally. I broke down and wept this week in the car with my wife, and I said, what's happened to us as a church? Not us, 
I'm not speaking of you. You're a great church. But what's happened to us as Christian people? Christian people that we've taken this issue and decided to use a knife instead of applying grace. We've decided to attack them. What, What is that them? From what I see, Jesus came for them. Who are these them that we hate so viciously? What's happened in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s is we just want to make sure everybody knows what we're against. The world doesn't know what we're for. They don't know what we're for. <laughs> so, of course, they, they run over here and say, don't give an inch. Let's have abortion all the way up to nine. Let's have abortion all the way, all the way. You know, there's no life there. All the way up to the moment. I mean, I mean, they're entrenched because they're fighting against not of them against us. And by the way, I just pointed, 70% are us. And it's so easy just to have a political position leaving a church today. I'm against. What are you for? So that is my grace portion of today. And I've included it in the notes. Here's how I want to phrase it. What does love require of me but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly before my God. What does love require of me? And this idea of abortion, we stand here today and we say, Imago Deo, amen? Imago Deo, made in the image of God. We say we're pro-abundant life. We don't want just people to have babies. We want to make sure that baby has every opportunity to know Jesus and has grown in a healthy home. If we want to just end it with that birth moment, then we've done nothing for that life, <laughs> And by the way, if we're pro-life, and I, again, would wish we would use the term pro-abundant life, then I want to give you this statement today to chew on. I believe mankind is made in the image of God, imago Deo. I believe it. I believe God gave us Jesus so that everyone might have the opportunity of an abundant life, salvation, amen? And that's why the church ought to preach salvation and stay out of politics, Instead of more division and more running to the far extremes, let's preach Jesus and Him crucified for our sins, risen again so that we might have life and have it to its full. Abundant life! Abundant life is what I'm for. If these two statements are true, then I wish and pray that these last statements I say to you will ring true to you. Therefore, I must act in compassion and kindness towards the unborn. Absolutely. The most vulnerable population ever, the unborn. And we ought to stand for them. But for some reason, that's where we stopped. That's where we stopped. I stand for the unborn. I stand for life. Fantastic. Let's do that. Let's do that. But you know what? Life also means that pregnant mother. If I'm for life, I'm for the life of the the mom making a choice too. Let's go further. Let me push you a little bit because some of you might say, wait a second, he's taking abortion way too far. We must act in compassion and kindness toward the unborn, the pregnant mother, and I also believe the sick, the poor, the homeless, the aged, the mentally challenged, the inmate, the immigrant, the refugee. 
all nations, all races, all colors, all women, all men, all identities, all varieties, with gospel urgency. Where's our grace and compassion and love? This is a hard issue. It's easy to have a firm line. It's easy to have that. So I, I applaud that today. Let me tell you, I'm not trying to take you away from, uh, I'm against this. That's fine. But that's, that should be a beginning point. That should drive us to what we're about. I'm not just about ending abortion. I'm about pro-abundant life. And that life goes beyond that birth moment. There's a life in that pregnant mom. There's a life in that sick person, in the poor person, in the homeless, in the aged, in the mentally challenged, in the inmate, in the immigrant, in the refugee. There's life. Are we for them? All nations, all races, all colors, all women and men and identities and varieties. I'm with them with gospel urgency. This goes back to my Romans series that we're in. This topic ought to drive us to the gospel, amen? It's what's going to change a life. Telling somebody what's legal or not legal in this country or that country is not going to change their heart or their decision. But I believe that the gospel applied can make a huge difference. The church is the place where the gospel is. It's told to be shared and to be given. And apparently we're finding out that there's a problem in our house. This problem is not out there. It's here. Let's bathe it in grace. So I would encourage you to this. Here's my application for you. How can you stand up with life? Not just against abortion. But how can you stand up with life? There are agencies and organizations you can come and partner with. I remember when uh, Sterner, uh, it wasn't Tabitha, was it? It was Tabitha, yeah. Tabitha did the babies for blank, or ba- blankets for babies. Remember that simple thing? And, and, and it sounded just so simple. I'm thinking, yes, that is, that's saying I'm with moms. Uh, moms, I'm with you. I want to support you. Let's find ways to support People that are making these terrible choices are are very hard, difficult choices, by the way. And and some of them, again, have you been in the room? Have you been face-to-face? I I do want to share this in closing. I have another document that maybe some of you would want to peek at. It says, uh, 10 things not to do when a woman tells you she wants an abortion. I can give you a little preview. Don't have a sign that says, God hates you. You're a murderer. Don't do that. When I read the story of Jesus picking up a chin and looking into the eyes of a young, scared girl, I'm thankful he didn't make up a picket sign of hate. Pick up your picket sign or pick up a chin. Your pastor's telling you, if we really believe, imago Deo, pro-abundant life, gospel urgency, we will consider, are we picking up chins and looking into eyes and saying, I'm with you. I'm with you all alone. You might feel all alone, but I'm with you. You might think this is a better answer because you see no hope, but I'm with you. You're not alone. I'll be there this week and next week. I'll come and support you and help you. I think that's the power 
of the gospel and grace, and it's our message as the church, our message shouldn't be political. It can be so much better. Let me pray. I'd ask the band to come. Father, we need help. Father, this this issue was so much easier when it was just them against us, but it's never been them against us. It's always been us for them with the gospel. God, help us to live gospel-urgent lives. Help us to want to run with grace. God, help us not to be known what we're against, but help us to be seen by what we're for. God, when people see that we're with refugees, they see that we believe in life. God, when they see that we're with the homeless, they see that we're for life. So God, help us to be pro-abundant life. I pray you'd help us to think about these things, challenge us where our actions are at. And God, again, help us to have an attitude check in our hearts and our minds, convict us. We pray all these things that we might uh, first start in the home, your home, your house, Lord. And we must recognize and repent that if 70% of people that are making this choice are from within the church, this is not again them against us. So help us to take that seriously first and foremost. God, these are hard times and hard days. I pray for your grace and mercy and wisdom. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.